Hey guys, this is Alex Kessler. Uh, really quick before the episode starts, this podcast is brought to you by Wizardry Foundry, maker of the Grimoire deck box and other stylish magic accessories. Uh, for example, the Grimoire box, which is a cool deck box that can hold a cube and or your gauntlet of modern decks, which is the two things I use mine for. They're like leather bound book looking, so I literally have them in my bookcase among my other fancy leather bound books because I'm fancy. Uh, they Wizard Foundry is also currently working on a cool, innovative way for players the 3D print their very own deck box. So you kind of can pick one of the cool designs. Uh, I picked one. I'm getting one, hopefully one of the first ones. It's going to be an X-Wing because it ends up that I love Star Wars, which means that Right Town might be my favorite time of ever. Just ever. New good movie, modern pro tour. Just things are great. Uh, also, if you are one of the first five users to use the special code, which is MMCastFeb1, you... Get 50% off. And then from that point on, the next 50 users get 25% off. That is 25% off a Grimoire deck box. So go to the website. Check it out. It's wizardryfoundry.com. Make sure to use the code MMCastFeb1. And that way you can get sweet discounts on really cool stuff. And we will see you during the cast. Welcome, travelers. We're aware that your journey was difficult. But prepare to have your questions answered. For you have been granted an audience with... The Masters of Mod. And welcome back, everybody. This is the Masters of Modern Podcast. I am your host, Alex Kessler, here with my co-host, Ben Bateman. I'm glad to hear you all. I can't hear you yet, because I, I can't hear you ever. Yeah, that was weird have you ever heard say. anyone listen to you? No, never. Never. Maybe right. if, if you guys want to record yourself listening, yeah. and then send it to us on Twitter, as yeah. like a, we, would, we would listen to it. And, that, may, and probably retweet it. Alex, that's like an SAT question, I feel like. You just proposed. Because it's impossible. What? You can't Why? record yourself listening. Unless you were talking while you were listening. Yeah, you, like they're, t they're like commenting. Like a commentary. Right. Okay, so let's move on. <laughs> we have a guest uh, we, we have need a to guest. introduce. Sean Penrod. What's up? How's it going? What's up, man? How Dan, you doing? Doing what? great. Love, love being here. Thanks for having me on. Yeah, wh why don't you break down for all those listeners out there who you are. And, and your life accomplishments. Yeah, man. All right, sweet. So uh, I'm Sean Penrod, as you so lovingly uh, introduced me as. And uh, I don't know, life accomplishments. Um, let's see. I live here in California for the time being, and I run a Magic the Gathering podcast called MTG Pro Tutor, where I bring on professional Magic players and community notables and just talk to them about their origin stories and tips and tricks and you know whatever they think will take us you know to the next level. And as far as my magic life, I guess I came into magic 97, I think I remember the weatherlight block really well. I just love that storyline with Gerard and all those guys and fell out for many years, as many people do, and had a brief stint uh, during Future Sight where I randomly opened a Tarmogoyf, had no idea what it was, put it in my binder. And years later, when I got back into magic and my friend was like, hey, you have a really cool card here. I was like, oh, look at that. It's worth like 200 bucks. That was kind of fun. Um, so I've been active like hardcore active since uh, the end of New Phyrexia. Like my first real coming back in was uh, my first draft ever was New Phyrexia, and then I got really into it with Innistrad and stuff like that. So, so here I am doing magic stuff and loving it, and just really excited to be you know part of the community. Cool. It's a sweet community right now. It's like uh, the last five years have been since pretty much since you're talking about when you got back into it is when we've seen the crazy growth where like the community's basically doubled. I mean, we pretty much have twice well, no, as was, many people. It was growing 20% every year since M10. So yeah. I don't want to do math, wow. but imagine, I think that's seven years, eight years. So eight times 20 is a, 
Yeah, we have a lot, a lot of, of people playing Magic now. And the crazy <laughs> thing, the really cool thing, is they, they always talk about that there's a disparity between uh, casual players and competitive tournament players and how about 10% of the total player base is like a com- tournament player in the sense that they understand DCI regulations and rules and formats and all that as opposed to just like playing cards to play them. And uh, it definitely seems like with those numbers, the actual tournament scene now is in the millions, whereas it didn't used to be. So we're in like the, somewhere yeah. in like the two Super to exciting. four million tournament players now, which is crazy. Speaking of, speaking of tournament players, yeah, guess what we're talking about today? I hope it's the modern Fro Tour. We only get it once a year. I know. It's happening in five days. Much to the chagrin of the pros, but (laughs) (laughs) we love it. Um, So today we're going to do our Pro Tour preview episode, and Sean is here to help us accomplish that because he is a knowledgeable person about pros. Uh, Basically, we'll kind of explain what the Pro Tour is, how it's going to work, and talk a little bit about Oath of the Gatewatch draft, but if many of you know, I don't think Ben's played a game of limited in... No, that's not true. I've well, played. I, I played four oath sealed tournaments. I played. A, okay. I played a two headed giant. Plays at we won. <laughs> we won. By the way, in the two headed giant tournament that I was unwilling to try out. Oh yeah, I'd, I'd like spent maybe twenty minutes convincing you to play because I couldn't play because it was like a family obligation based. Yeah, I had to go. We had a really good deck, and uh, and I played three other sealed tournaments that weekend. So I've played plenty of both. Right. So we're gonna talk about a little bit of draft, and then we're gonna break down kind of what we think the tiers in the format and which decks you're gonna see the most of, and kind of maybe the way pros would look at the format in their testing. So like our the, level the, zero will be the, the tiers of the format, as in like is Zendikar crying because of the, all the Eldrazi? Yeah. You, know you meant by tiers? Yeah, those tiers, the salty tiers of pros having to play modern. I'm so glad we oh, have oh, a third. Oh, oh. I'm so glad we have a third pun maker on the podcast. <laughs> this is exciting. Well, I feel like if you're getting into magic content creation, you have to have some inherent love of puns. Yeah, you have to totally sense of humor. Very, very important. Very important. (laughs) It's necessary. All right. So before we start, I do want to shout out our sister podcast, The Command Zone. I'm actually going to guest on it this week. I don't know if it's going to be the episode that comes out this week. Most likely not because they have like a two-week turnaround time. But get ready. You're going to get some Kessler Commander talk in that podcast. Go check Jimmy and Josh do awesome stuff. Um so yeah, let's get into it. So first off, what is a Pro Tour? How does it work? How do you get onto the Pro Tour? Well, it's changed over the years. I mean, there used to be. It's so funny when we had BDM on. We were, he was like, he was like, <laughs> you guys should go listen to this story because it's funny. He's like, do you know what the qualification for the very first Pro Tour was? We're like, what? He's like, you had to call. You just had to call a phone number because that was it. And then they so would one eight hundred number, and you just showed up, and that was how you got on the very first Pro Tour. Things have changed. <laughs> <laughs> if only we could just call someone. Yeah. It's like the dream of any Magic player at this point, just because it's such a lofty, lofty goal to make a pro. Well, tour. at this point, there's like eight tiers to get there. You have to like either yeah. top eight a GP. Well, yeah. So these are the ways right. you can get on. I mean, John, do you want to break them down? So the main way is top eight a GP, like you mentioned. You could also win a regional PTQ, uh, and to get there, you have to win like this. You have to win like a local, P- or, like what is it called? R- Preliminary uh, PTQ. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So you have to go to the PPTQ, and then from there you get to go to RPTQ. And if you uh, top four that one, so basically you make it to top eight, you play the one round, and then whoever wins that. Um, they get to go, they get an invite as well. And then you can also get in on points. So they, they keep track of the pro points that you get throughout the year. And those are, the, those are the big ways. Those are the main ways of getting in. Um, yeah. Hall of Famers always get an invite to go as well. Yeah. And... There's special invites as well. Sometimes they'll invite, there's, there's sometimes they'll invite like a couple like honorary people, like give or take whether or not they, they actually qualify. I think Melissa does right. originally her first pro tour appearance and then she like top aided. So that changed the game. But her first time was yeah. through a, a, an invite. 100%. A special invite. Um, 
So yeah, so that's how you get on. I think the one way we forgot to mention, unless they change this rule, if you finish a Grand Prix with 39 match points, uh, you also get the invite. Yeah, so if there's a Grand Prix that's too big, yeah. or not too big, but so big that it's possible to have a great record but not make it into the top eight Yeah. Um, that you would normally win into the top eight, they, you also get a pro point. So like they kind of decided that awards and pro tours, at least in regards to pro points, are based off of a uh, record, not necessarily actual, like... Right. If you have the same record as top eight, as the top eight guy in your top nine, and you just lost because, like, your round one opponent on day one dropped out or something like that, you well, still can get into the Pro Tour. And also, just to clarify what that means, is if you win a match in a competitive game, you get three points. So if you win, you have to win 13 matches to make mm. to get your invite. Right. And, and, and I a normal Pro Tour won't have that many matches available to you. If it's the a regular size, a pro tour, you mean? No, uh, a grand prix. Yeah, no, it always GP. will. It always will because you because day one's always nine rounds, and then day two is. Right, right, uh, sorry, having that record in a large enough GP won't guarantee you a spot on the top eight. Gotcha. Yeah, yeah, hundred percent. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So and and then, but I, I believe the last detail of that is that every one of the other uh, avenues we mentioned, the regional, the top eight, the special invite, they all come with airfare. I think, though, I don't think the thirteen. Are the uh, thirty-nine match points does? That's the only one that they exclude airfare, unless they change that ruling. I, I'm not. I'm not positive. I know the last GP that I was at, which Vegas. I know our one of our friends got it. Didn't get the airfare. I for some reason I think there was an update where they maybe did update. Do you know? Do you know, Sean? I seem to remember reading something about this. No. So that yeah, that one's a more obscure path to the Pro Tour. So I yeah, I don't I don't know if they've changed it or whatnot, but I'm not sure if it has airfare or not. I don't think it does, but I could be wrong. Yeah, I know it didn't used to. Isn't there also? I, I don't know this for sure, but is there a way on Moto to get on the Pro Tour? Oh yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> yes, yes, there is. If you so every month they do a mocks. Um, what does it stand for? I don't know. It's the Magic Online Championship Series. There you go. And so every so every month they do that, and the winner of that. Let's see. I know the winner of that gets invited to the world at the end, but I think they also get a pro tour invite as well. I'm pretty sure if you win the mocks, you get a pro tour invite. I'm okay, so positive. yeah. So those yeah. are those are all. The, so there's a lot of ways. They're yeah. all involving beating a lot of people at Magic, but there yeah, are definitely no a lot of ways to get on the pro tour. Well, and just again to put it in frame of reference, like like we said, we're between two and four million competitive players, or at least tournament players, and there's something like 400 or 500 of the biggest pro tours. So that's not a lot of people. Right. Wow. You got to yeah. whittle that yeah, down no somehow. Um, and one of the reasons they did the regional PTQ system was because uh, they couldn't do more PTQs because, A, they couldn't make them into two-day events, which is what you kind of need to do based off of attendance. They couldn't be bigger, and they couldn't make more of them because it ends up that that didn't actually do anything. It just people go to all of the PTQs. Um, Even the PPTQs were nuts this summer. This last yeah, summer, the yeah. first season, the modern season, I think we played in five of them or something like that, and they were all like 60, 60 70 plus when you expected they were going to be closer to like 30 to 40. Right, and, and, and the other issue with making more of them is eventually you make too many slots for the Pro Tour. The Pro Tour has a cap of how many players can play on it, and totally. if you make more P PTQs, that means more winners of those PTQs get to be in, on the Pro Tour, and eventually the Pro Tour gets too big. Right. Um, all right, so now that you know kind of what how to get on a Pro Tour... What is a Pro Tour? Uh, the Pro Tour is the highest level of play in Magic the Gathering. It's uh, it's in. What I mean, I meant more like, how does it work? How oh. many rounds? How many days? What do you play? It's a three-day event. <laughs> how um, many of them are there? It's now the Pro Tours are always now referred to as the set which they're advertising. So instead of like it used to be like Pro Tour Honolulu or Pro Tour Berlin, which you'll see like. This pro won Pro Tour Berlin in 2008 or something. They don't do that anymore. It's Pro Tour Oath of the Gatewatch. So it, the point is to associate it with new cards. And it is a three-day event, which is split between a constructed format and a limited format. 
Um, though, so for those who don't know, because you listen to a modern podcast and you only play modern, which yeah. is limited is when you open packs <laughs> yeah. and you play with those packs. <laughs> so what will happen is at this Pro Tour, the first two days, we'll each have five rounds of Constructed Modern as well as three rounds of Booster Draft, I believe. Uh, and the final day will be uh, top eight exclusively of Modern, each match being best of five games. Uh, and I believe it's the first three matches of each day are Booster Draft. Yep. Is that correct? Yes. Yes. Yeah. So it, it, yes. You, you see a draft, and normally when it's in another country, everyone misses the draft because it's like in the middle of the night, four or in the morning. Yeah, and then <laughs> you wake up at eleven. And you're like, oh, I just <laughs> hit the constructed section. Yay! Right. But uh, what's cool about the pro- modern pro tour is there's only one. So originally they actually took it away because I think Wizards hadn't made the announcement yet that they're going to be this super rotation schedule that they're now on, and so they're like, oh, we're standards going to be generally more, more or less different every single time a set comes out. And so we can make it standard Pro Tour every time. And then they did it, and everyone freaked out because Modern's the best, and we wanted a Pro Tour, and uh, we got one. And, yeah, we're we're at a weird – we're definitely the, – the format's at a really, really strange point. And you guys have heard us talk about this a little bit. Sean, I don't know if this is a conversation you've had as much, but the thing is the pros – a lot of the pros have the same feeling, which is that the, the variance involved in Modern because the decks can be so swingy makes it really difficult to plan correctly with a sideboard in a way you can with standard where the card pool is much smaller. So you end up with with really kind of like a 70-30 format where it's like if you draw your sideboard hate in game two, you'll win. And if you don't, you'll still just get steamrolled against the wrong deck. So pros feel like they should be supported for with their better play to play better and win more of the time. And modern makes that a difficult format, which is why pros feel like it should be exclusively a Grand Prix format. A lot of them do, not all of them. And right. uh, people get upset that they have to play it as a Pro Tour format, which is why you end up with aggro and unfair combo, usually as the decks of choice for a lot of these pros at the highest level because they can win unfairly. Um, what do you think about that? I mean, I completely agree. That's that's more or less a sentiment that I've gotten from, you know, the guests that I've had and things like that. And I can I can see I can understand what they're saying that they want to be like you said rewarded for their better skill and it they don't feel like a swingy format really reflects that or whatever. But you know, at the same time, swingy formats are fun to watch. <laughs> you know, like it's, it's fun right. to see a game go one way and then kind of go the other way. You know, last minute. And so it's you know it's it's a give and take between appeasing the pros and giving you know us viewers and you know players of the of the format what we want as well. So. I mean, I, I shared an attitude very recently on this podcast that I'll just repeat now in case you missed the episode, which is just essentially you have these four high level tournaments that are sanctioned and and sponsored by Wizards every year, and you're getting the opportunity to play the best game ever, is my opinion. If you want to go to play to win money, if that's the point, if the point is to go in and spike a tournament, there's a lot of games you can spike to win more money than you'll ever win at a pro tour. I mean, poker is the most obvious, and a lot of these guys do both so right at the end of the day this game is driven by the audience it's the audience that wants to see this they have a pro tour to sell the product the product is in place to be sold by these pros so if we want as an audience modern and we're showing that by our demand in the viewership being higher than ever in the fact that the format is the patrons of the format just i mean they show up in numbers for the grand prix and the pro tour i can't see the attitude of these pros which is get rid of it because it's like why the eyes are there right. the support is right. there i mean that's what right. we want to see Oh, and, and I had a recent, uh, I think it, maybe it was an article I read, but basically they, they came up a good dichotomy is, so pros are very, very, very good at magic. That's why they're pros. That's like their main skill set is that they're great. And for them, what they want is a format where they can capitalize on that skill. They want to say, I am better than you, so I will beat you. That's what they want the situation to be. And for them, their perfect format is Cobblade. 
is where every single deck is the exact same deck, so they know exactly how to play, and they just have to become masters of that mirror match. Right. Versus something like Modern, which is the healthiest type of format. And, and Cobbler was an unhealthy format. It was right. bad for tournament play because people that aren't 100% pro players don't like playing against the same deck every round. And the most healthiest eternal formats are the most diverse. The point of Modern is to make it so as many decks are playable. The point of Legacy as well is kind of to be as many decks are playable as possible, which is a direct opposite of what pros want from a tournament they're going to be playing in. And, yeah, I mean, the other, because they, like, if I go and I, I revisit Standard when I watch a Standard Pro Tour, what happens to me is I'm like, let's just pretend I've tuned out of Standard for a year, just one year. Let's say I take some time off because I'm in college, I'm a student. I don't know any of the cards now. So now I'm watching an event, and I have to, I have to actually reinvest in the game completely to understand right. what the hell is going on as a fan. Right. Whereas with Modern or with Legacy, if I knew from before and I come in, maybe there'll be a couple cards I don't recognize, but for the most part, I'll know a lot of what's going on. It's, you know, it's like trying to learn a new sport every time you turn into the broadcast, um, which is not as fun for a lot of people. But I, I don't even like learning the sports I know about. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But anyway, we digress. I mean, that's, so that is the way a modern Pro Tour works. There's $250,000 on the line uh, with 40000 going to first place. Uh, there, you can cash down pretty deep. Uh, what was it down to sixty fourth place? Or I think sixty fourth is the cut for money. Yeah, yeah. And so that is a pro tour. Yeah. And the modern pro tour is coming up. So before we get into, because the main point of this podcast is we're going to go through each of the different uh, levels of decks, and we'll explain what that means in a second. Uh, first, I kind of want to talk about because they are we're going to be watching draft, and we don't rarely talk about draft, and so I am not personally a master at draft, but. Uh, there, I got a list. It's from Josh Lee Kai. He is the host of the Command Zone. He is a friend of the cast and guest of the cast once in a while. He's gave me his top five, because he's drafted a lot, top five advice pieces for draft. Number one, draft white with quite a bit of prejudice, because all white combinations besides red-white are solid. Hmm. So white for, white's the best color, according to Josh. <laughs> well, I'll tell you, my experience on that was in my sealed pool in the, I did a two-headed giant pre-release, I had Eldrazi Displacer. Hands down, so amazing. Oh, yeah. So I, I played against it so once, good. and it just got wrecked. I mean, that yeah, card... Like, I mean, so good. You read that card, and you're like, oh, this is interesting, and then you like you don't realize that you can target your opponent's creatures, and they enter tapped? Like, what? Yes. Yep. You yep. can That's you can, thing. You can basically maze of ith your opponent's board for as many times <laughs> as you can pay for it. Like, I, I looked at it, and I was like, oh, the rate's pretty good on this. This must just be an ability to blink our own creatures. And then I was like, oh, my <laughs> God. Um, the other... I mean, like, white is so good in this format that I, I've done one draft on Moto, and I drafted a pretty mediocre white-black list, and I still, like, 2-0'd it because just the cards were just so much better than what I was playing against. And, like, three other people were in white-black, and I still was just better than every other deck other than the white-black decks that beat me. White's removal is really solid. You get the two-mana exile target attacking creature, or it's destroy one or the other. You get the four-mana oblivion ring type of type of deal. Um those, I mean, those are both super solid. Like you can, you can do the ally combination. Like there's a bunch of really, really interesting black white, black white uh, allies. Is black white ally life gain is like a insane. And and that brings us to number two, which is black is by far the second best color. Yeah, I mean the mm -hmm. cohort strategies with black white are really, really powerful. Yes, the life gain. Black has the best removal spell in that exile four drop. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Which which is like usually in some formats you look at that card and you're like, this is good, but it's sorcery speed. Like it's probably just okay like in other formats like red has the best removal because there's like x2s that you have to kill right in this well, format there's x9s <laughs> yeah i mean you have like there's there's like it's funny because like i remember when they very first printed ulamog's crusher 
right, in Rise of the Eldrazi, and you were like an 8-8 trample, Annihilator 2 for 8? Wow. This thing's insane at common. What a crazy limited card. As we all learned, it actually was insane. So you would think, <laughs> <laughs> you would think that when you look at like the what, like the eight Eldrazi, uh, the what's the eight nine thing? Uh, I don't know what it's called. Yeah, the, I don't there's, play limited. <laughs> there's like eight nine. There's like the seven five this list, and this is all I know about this format. <laughs> there's the seven five for seven that when he attacks annihilates two. Yeah, that guy's um, decent. Yeah, I mean, they're Bane of Alagad, I think he's called. I yeah. mean, there's some gigantic creatures in this format. The funny thing right. is. They're still really good. So right, right. It's not like they made them any worse. They're just really good still. So yep. a four mana exile spell is like very necessary. Yeah, yeah. The Oblivion Strike. I was gonna say that I, that thing is a common, and so it just pops up and everywhere. And so it's it's it does work. All right. So number three, engine cards are super important. Board stalls are the norm. So anything that gives recurved table value, even slow, is very good. Um, yeah. No, I mean. That's the one comment I have about this format is it's super grindy. It always ends up in these big board stalls. It's why one of the reasons – well, I'll get to that later. But I, I've drafted blue-red twice, and both times I felt mediocre because blue-red is best in a format where you can kind of tempo your opponent to death. And this is a format where just there's just butts in the way. Yeah. So many butts. Mm -hmm. Unblockable yeah. stuff is powerful. Recursive forms of damage. That's why Cohort's really good. Black-white Cohort, is, it gives you the ability to play good removal and then get these little, these little like drain gain type of loops going. There's the one four guy who's really strong that you gain life every time you tap him. Yeah, no, yeah Vampire yeah. Envoy. He was in my sealed. Yeah, he was in my pool. He's he was nuts. Good. He's really, really He'd good. Like especially, especially with the Zulaport chain, uh, chainmate. Well, no, that one's the two damage one. The one that draws you lose a life and draw a card. Yeah, uh, Malakir Soothsayer. So Malakir Soothsayer and the Vampire Envoy. If you have those two, oh, you can nuts. tap yeah. and draw a card. It's cool. Yeah, it's really powerful. I mean, and then also this is this is why when we played two-headed giant we ended up winning in the finals with dimensional infiltrator because the the fact that you could pay two mana to exile a card actually won the game because it was in a massive board stall and we had four color of the sources all oh, of a eventually sudden. you just started oh yeah we milled them out in four turns we just didn't we didn't <laughs> realize that like that was a thing and I, i'm sure that card i'm sure that card has to go overlooked for the, exactly that reason yep um and number four red is the worst color Mostly because aggro is bad and games go long. We kind of talked about that, but just... Which is interesting, because red has some crazy good removal. But I think just the surge strategy when you're not playing two-headed giant is much worse. Yeah, yeah. The, the one thing I will say about red, uh, the red cards that I really liked, that I have been impressed by, um, Nettle Drone, I think it's called, the 3-1 Tapper... Ta uh, well, that, yeah, but that's from... That's yeah. a, Battle for Zendikar. But no. Yeah, yeah. He's they, still in the format. Yeah. They printed some really good support cards for him. So, mm -hmm. so you have there's the black, red, three one first strike, devoid, that whenever you play a colorless creature, I think it does one damage or they lose one life. There's yeah. that guy, there's Nettle Drone, and then just a bunch of super, super sweet black and red devoid cards that if you if you draft aggressively in that strategy because people are like, say, prioritizing white. I think you could steamroll people with that yeah, strategy. I, I think we're going to see a lot of people at the Pro Tour, if they're doing red, doing black-red. I think yeah. that by far is the best black or the best red strategy, and it, it's because black might be the best color. White does best with other colors, but black by itself might be the strongest. Yeah, totally. Um, and then number five, uh, did I mention that you should really try to draft white? Yeah. Yeah. Funny. <laughs> Humor. Uh -huh. Thank you, Josh. All right, so that was Josh Lee Kwai's list. Yeah, because we don't know anything about. Well, we know a little bit. As you I, can I, tell. We've played some. I mean, I I don't think I've limited it. <laughs> there's there's a lot of really interesting uh, ramp creatures. They they printed quite a few, obviously, because there's huge huge right. things in the format. So you have you have like ramp spells and ramp creatures. You've got the 
You have the two mana zero one artifact creature or colorless. That guy's is. really, really, really good. He taps the really add a colorless. Yep. You have the vigilance two three. I think he is that can that can tap to add a colorless. Um, he's yep. pretty strong. Well, the, the other thing. So like this is kind of why green was bad in uh, just straight up battle for Zendikar. Green. Greatest strength is it ramps you. It lets you pick those like a. It's the only color with big creatures, and b. It's the only color that lets you get to those big creatures. But in the world of Eldrazi, everyone has access to those big creatures, and everyone right. has access to ramp to get to those big creatures. So green in the last set lost a lot of its power. I think it's gotten it back a little bit because it's gotten a few really powerful cards that go along with its uh, Eldrazi Scion strategy, and right. it's become a little bit more pigeonholed in this set for that specific idea right uh, where it was a little bit more spread out in just straight up bfz but i definitely think it's probably white black blue green red yeah i think and i also think that we're forgetting we're still forgetting that you you do open battle for zendikar in this draft so like yeah there are cards you're getting so like you know you have to remember like say eldrazi sky spawner is still a really powerful card like the uh the, the two two for three that also gets you a dude so he gets you three power he's strong so if you go with a strategy like that where it's just like overwhelm your opponent I mean, also, like, not not to... I mean, if you go heavy into value and colorless into this new set, that's fine. But you know people are going to be doing that. They're going to be drafting wastes. They're going to be trying to do that. There's also that possibility where, like, that crazy uh, colorless creatures get plus two, plus oh, and, like, end first strike thing, that if you get enough scions, you can just swing oh, black one. for, like, yeah, 18 yeah. or something like that. Yeah, and yeah. That, that thing can be completely nuts. Well, and, and that's something that, I mean, we keep bringing it up, but black is so much stronger than... Um, like other than maybe black and white are so strong, and in the previous format there was a like the only good green strategy was black green. So the fact that gr black got a lot of extra points and green probably got slightly better um, helps it a lot in what's going right. forward. Because green strategy and just straight up BFC had a lot of converged themes, but it didn't have the color fixing to pull it off. So that kind of never really worked out in the favor of what you were trying to accomplish. Yeah, completely, completely. Um, so yeah, so that's what drafting this format is like. You. Some of you may know it better than us, but we're just going to move on. Uh, so today, and the last big thing we're doing, is we're actually going to break down what we think the format looks like. Yeah. So we are a modern podcast. This is something we might know a little bit more about. Um, so basically how this is going to work, we're breaking it down in levels. So this is different than tier. So like we've talked a lot about tiers where tier one is the best decks in the format. Tier two is playable decks in the format that could win often. And tier three is like more under her unheard of decks or side decks that sometimes will do well. This is different. What levels are, so like, for instance, levels start at level zero, and levels are kind of what decks are going to be most ubiquitous. Right. So, Used to be Splinter Twin was everywhere. Yeah, so I would say Splinter Twin before <laughs> the ban was level zero. Yeah. So you know that there was going to be a significant chunk of the format is level zero, and it's just going to do well. That's no longer true. I think we have a new level zero in the format. Which is bizarre because we believe the new level zero actually is a deck that no one has seen played on a high, high tournament level yet. I, I think mean, it's a brand new deck. Yeah, I mean, I, I mean, this is what we'll call it. Tur <laughs> Tier 0, level 0, are decks that play four copies of Eye of Ugin. Yep. What, like, what they look like <laughs> beyond four copies of Eye of Ugin and probably four Eldrazi Temple, I mean, I think you have to assume. Um, basically, those, those cards together, that appears to be Tier 0. Now, right. we've heard... All kinds of different... Well, so classically black-based ones have done really well. So yeah. the, the the classic ones that have done really well are, you know, it plays Ayabugan because it lets you... Or, uh, it plays Urborg to let your Ayabugan tap for mana. Right. And play stuff like Wasteland Strangler and cards that exile people's graveyards, like Graveyard Hate, because that allows you to get the exiled cards you need for Wasteland Strangler that'll work. 
um, and other processors, because those were kind of the only good Eldrazi if you could get the processing to work to play in modern. The world is different now. <laughs> yeah, they printed two cards that are extremely relevant and to arguably the strategy. three cards. Okay, I mean, I was thinking, so Thought Not Seer and Reality Smasher are the obvious, like, we took something that was already pretty unfair and made it, like, bannable. Like, Ayabugan, we've said it a bunch of times on the podcast, that'll be banned by next Pro Tour. There's zero chance that it survives. Right. It's just way too Unless, good. like, Wasteland is in Oath, uh, oh my gosh. Shadows of Shot or something, which would be <laughs> insane. <laughs> yeah. And a mistake. <laughs> um, um, but the other one I would say is Reality Shaper. Reality uh, uh, matter, matter, matter shaper, matter shaper. Card is very I think good. those those three cards, the three high power level Eldrazi um, creatures that are colorless that take advantage of that colorless mechanic right. on Ivugan are going to be the three big standouts that make that deck over. But they're also three cards that make it so you don't really need to work with the processor strategy. Right, you can go right. above that, and it, that's no longer the main game plan. Right. Um, it's definitely something interesting. I don't know which colors they play though. Right. Well, because we've seen we've seen the Blight Herder Oblivion Sower decks. Um, that's a thing people yep. have done, and you know, and and but now we have all these new Eldrazi, and so the question just becomes like, who knows what pros are going to come up come up with? We've seen black and we've seen white. I don't think we've really seen any other colors yet. Um, uh, people were playing with black blue a little bit uh, back beforehand. It, okay. it was always black base black, so base black in all the different combinations. Yeah. So it was black blue, black red. Black, white, and black green. I've yeah. seen all, all four of those. The coolest, and mono black, so you want to get for the full five. The coolest thing I've heard people talking about with uh, with the Eldrazi decks, because of the processor mechanic, you need them to have things that are exiled, is playing the card Delay. Do you guys remember Delay? One blue, one colorless instant, counter-target spell, and exile it with three suspend counters on it. Uh, yes. So yeah. it's exiled, and then you get to use the processor mechanic to take it out of exile into their graveyard. How sweet is that? That's pretty sick. <laughs> yeah, that's, that's pretty good. I've heard I've heard people talking about it, but like not at a, like a high effective level. Just like at a, I my favorite block ever is time spiral block. So like getting to use delay and modern to me, it's like oh, this is so cool. <laughs> that's awesome. Um. So yeah. So that's level zero. So that's that's the level that if you were testing for the pro tour, or are you even testing for a modern tournament? But we're, this list is based on the Pro Tour. That's the deck you should be expecting to see a lot of. Because not only is it overpowered, most likely, based off of what our general... Like, our assumption is that card's going to be banned, and that's kind of one of the words on the street. Yeah. That looks like it's level zero. Um, what level one is, is kind of the second most played decks. This is the type of strategy that you're expecting most pros to take on. And I've been pretty vocal about this. Yeah. But uh, I, I believe that hype, level one is hyper-aggressive decks. So before we just start rambling our hyper-aggressive decks, Sean, did you have any thoughts on the Aldrazi deck yourself? Or like the, we'll just call it the Eye of Ugin deck? So my only thought is that it's scary. Uh, because I saw a buddy of mine assemble that deck and then smash my LGS here. Because we were doing... Um, modern fnm for the month of january and uh i just this last friday i saw him just take everybody apart so uh my thought is that it's very scary and when i was seeing what he was doing because he did exactly what you guys were saying exiling cards in the graveyard strangling you know people's stuff and just swinging in with all this crazy stuff and all this stuff is super cheap because i again all this nastiness and so yeah it's uh i yeah totally scary and definitely the deck to be i feel and yeah i would love to find a way to because whenever i see like a deck that just like over powers a format i'm always wondering okay like how can we yeah i i don't necessarily want to play it because i would want to just figure out how to destroy it <laughs> right well so then the next strategy the strategy that we all believe is and we see this at every pro tour i mean every pro tour or like routinely the pros will switch into these decks for grand prix it's it's the aggro decks it's the aggressive 
borderline turn hyper aggressive. Yeah. yeah. So affinity. This is kind of what I said when the format was um, when we got Splinter Twin banned. Pros when they modern is so diverse and so massive of a card pool that the chances for a pro in the three weeks between a ban list announcement and the actual pro tour to break the format is not as high as it would be in standard. And so pros generally will lean on, okay, well, I can't do that. And my, the format is so diverse that I can't really figure out what everyone is going to do and stop it. So what's the most aggressive way I can kill them so that instead of trying to stop them, I can just kill them before they can kill me. Generally speaking, a deck like that, you're going to, the interactive spells, you'll have more interaction spells than say a deck like Storm would have or some like actual, like complete ignore your opponent deck. But I mean, you're talking somewhere probably between four and eight interactive spells total. If that, yeah. And the rest of the deck being, I mean, some of them play none, but like, yeah, something like four to six, maybe like just the most efficient one drop sort of, uh, yeah, and those those decks are really good. They often will win game one by turn four, that turn five maybe. That's the nature of the game. I would say at a mere, like they can win on turn four, and a lot of them have turn three kills if they have no interaction from their opponent. Affinity definitely has a turn three kill. Uh, no, but burn and infect do. Yeah. So oh, yeah. so the decks are burn, infect, uh, affinity, or maybe the holy trinity of this kind of deck, and then I'm, I have we have boggles on the list because it's very similar. And there are a few pros that just like exclusively just play that, and it is hyper aggressive, very linear, and it's all about just taking your opponent's life title to zero. Well, in fact, definitely has a turn two kill. I mean, it's not a common turn two kill, but it can hundred percent right. do it. Right. Yeah. Like not right. even not even a like you just play like a turn one Glistener Elf, right? You turn two, you play like Might of Old Crosa, Might of Old Crosa, Mutagen- Mutagenic Growth, and just win. <laughs> yeah, I think, yeah, that'll work. I mean, or or like some number of mutagenic growths, or like a groundswell works. Yep. Um, right. Right. No, no, no. That, yeah, no. It can just kill you on turn two. Yeah. But quite I easily. mean, that's very rare because you have to have the exact three cards, and you have to have two green sources, and they have to not have a removal spell or any interaction or at any all. interaction at all. But yeah. no, it definitely can happen. Uh, and that's kind of the point: is if I'm a pro and I'm looking to spike this pro tour, um, I'm going to play the one deck that, like, you know what? I don't have to know what you're doing. I don't have to learn the matchup of modern. Since I don't like playing it generally, I don't have to learn every matchup. I can just learn, okay, I have to kill them by turn three, and this deck can accomplish that. So let's. Right. That's one of the reasons they banned Amulet Bloom, is because if Amulet Bloom was legal in the format, the expectation was 70% of the field might just play Amulet Bloom because right. it's that good. Yeah, well, it's just, I mean, yeah, it's, it's, it's non interactive. So for them to win, they didn't need to not have something removed. Right. Yeah. Any, any other comments, Sean? I would just expect to see because the last two pro tours were won by aggressive like red decks. And so I wouldn't expect that. And th- that w- those were modern, obviously, but I would expect to see something very similar um, in this one as well. You know, just yeah, just putting out because, like you said, they don't have to solve the format. They just have to you know play faster than, than the other person. And so I would not be surprised at all um, seeing a lot of the pros, you know, pilot these kinds of decks. So now we're on to level two. So this is. I guess maybe the secondary choice is how to explain this level, but what we have here is fair decks. So this is Junk, Jun, Merfolk, Zoo, Blue-Red X, like the remainder decks of what used to be Splinter Twin, Grixis Control, and with some contention, and probably people are going to argue with me on Twitter about this, I think Tron is in this category as well. Well, this, this is where you and I disagree a little bit, because Tron is somewhere between a... Somewhere, it's somewhere between a fair and an unfair deck. The thing is that Tron's worst matchup historically was Splinter Twin, 
and well, no, no, no. Spawn's worst matchup is decks that kill you quickly. Splinter Twin is one of those decks because Splinter Twin could kill them on turn four and could counter their stuff. So and can counter their stuff, but level one specifically, that being Affinity Burn and Infect and Boggles are terrible matchups. Terrible matchups for Tron. To some degree, I mean, to some degree. Remember though that Tron, like Tron, plays Pyroclasm, so like. You're against, like, say, Infect. If they play their turn to Pyroclasm, often Infect then has to burn a spell to keep their creature alive, which will slow their deck down. Yeah, but down. Pyroclasm also doesn't kill uh, their land, the man lands, on all, in both Infect and... The man lands in Infect and Affinity yeah. are a huge problem for Tron. True. And Burn is just a terrible matchup for Tron. Like, it's almost a wash. Every Tron player I've ever met is like, just I just don't want to ever play Burn. I'm trying to dodge that matchup. <laughs> but even after game one, Tron gets a lot better against those decks where Tron couldn't get that much better against Splinter Twin because Splinter Twin just... True, true, true. I'm not saying Splinter Twin was a good matchup for them, but I'm saying that Tron... People people are afraid of Tron in this format and they think, oh, Tron's going to be the best deck. And I think at a GP, Tron is going to be very dominant. But at a Pro Tour, when 90% of pros are going to be picking either these tier two strategy, linear strategies, or these tier one, level one strategies, or eventually we'll get to level three. Right. Uh, one of those, like, those types of strategies, which are very pro-heavy in this format, are terrible matchups for Tron. That's fair. Uh, and I don't even know if it has a good level zero matchup. I don't know how its I have Ugin matchup is, and I can't imagine it being amazing, because they're right. also playing... They're, I get to play a giant fatty while you're playing a Liliana the Veil. Yeah. Doesn't really matter when they're all, like, they're playing a Reality Smasher. Yeah, and you're playing an Ugin like this is both. You're just like, uh. <laughs> Reality Smash is real good. I can't. I can't wait to see the games where it's like, uh, Cavern of Souls naming Eldrazi. Oh my <laughs> god. <laughs> um. So, on the notes of the fair decks, I do think blue red decks will be around. I'm not actually completely sure Twin is dead. I think one of the strategies I would heavily look at is playing a the blue Kiki. red deck with Kiki Jiki, Kiki just Angel. because people won't be expecting it. Even just straight blue red Kiki Jiki, where it's like. People are now there. Every deck on the planet is not tuned to beat that strategy. And so maybe playing that strategy isn't the worst. Kiki Jiki is generally considered weak because Lightning Bolt is bad. But if level zero is a bunch of X4s, like all these Eldrazi are, like Lightning Bolt seems terrible against level zero, which means that Kiki Jiki is way stronger than it used to be. True. We're also forgetting about Superior Burning Coco. We'll, we'll get to that. <laughs> <laughs> um,. You know, Grixis Control, the word on the street that it's bad. Well, historically, Grixis Control, the reason that deck got so good was because it was really good against Twin. Right. And it was it was playing, it was just replacing the pieces of Twin with a bunch more sweet removal. With, like, Jace's Colagon's Command terminates. And, like, okay, so go ahead. Like, there's zero, is there a zero way you'll be able to beat me with Splinter Twin? Because eight to ten more cards in my deck are just good against your combo. Right. And then the rest of my deck is better than yours. Well, I, the way I kind of always looked at it was Jund and Junk are Twin's worst matchup or were Twin's worst matchup. And Grixis Control is taking those decks and then making them interact at instant speed, <laughs> which is, like, the worst possible thing for Twin on every level. So right. that matchup no longer being around makes the deck a lot worse. Fully, yeah. Um, uh, and you know, Merfolk is probably a decent choice purely because, and one of the reasons I think pros might pick it is because Spreading Seas is really good. It sounds in this format. Yeah. You Spreading Seas is a great card. Just land destruction in general, like Blue Moon decks is another one of these, like the ability to turn off 
people at level zero and level one because like all of those man lands I mentioned, all of the just Eldrazi lands that are out there, like both of those matchups are going to be super strong and being able to turn those lands off seems like a really good plan. Well, we also are forgetting the fact that people are referring to the Merfolk deck now as eight Cs because you can play four Cs claim and four Spreading Cs. So Spreading Cs has always been the better one, but if you're playing in a format where you expect Ayabugan and Tron to be really, really good, even and even just like Ink Moth Nexus, like right. just the man lands, having four more cards that turn their land into an island in a deck that both wants to be Island Walk, I mean, that's very disruptive. I mean, right. you don't want to sacrifice four more cards in Merfolk, but like, take for instance, some of, like, what if you replaced Curse Catcher with Seize Claim or something like because that? Because I think Curse Catcher is probably weaker now because there's not as many spell based decks. Yeah, and it's like you're a little less aggressive, but you're a lot more disruptive. Right. Um, I could see that being a thing. Um, I'm super excited to hear you guys speak so highly of. Or yeah, highly of, of Merfolk and Boggles, and because I'm on a quest to find uh, a good deck, and those are the two that that I'm starting with as I, you know, dive, you know, diving into to this whole realm and stuff like that. So that, that's cool that uh, that you, you guys think they're gonna have good matchups against some of these bigger decks. Well, yeah, well, I mean, uh, we've said this before in the cast. Merfolk has had some of the most consistent top eight finishes of any deck in modern history, at least up to this mm. point. Splinter Twin is now gone, so what was once before is no longer true of what's going on in the future. But in the last year, Merfolk has placed more top eights than I think any other deck other than Splinter Twin. I'd be very surprised. Like, wow. if I mean, if you think if you really want a GP, if you really think about um, the sort of the classic ways to screw your opponent's strategy, right? Like mm -hmm. disruption, counterspells, uh, and land destruction tend to be like the three ways you can go about it. The most, right. the most like maddening has always been land destruction because it locks you out of being able to play your game. And Merfolk it, is one of the three best land destruction decks in the format. Oh my goodness! I mean, Spreading Seas. When you play that deck, if you've played that deck, Spreading Seas is the best card in the deck. It always feels like it. Um, it was in our top ten blue cards. Yeah, Spreading Seas is insane. So if if we're looking at a format where you can all of a sudden get another four copies of a land destruction spell, and all of a sudden like the deck you were the blue deck that you were most scared to play against. Splinter Twin isn't a deck anymore. Like, Merfolk's real good. That deck, like, right. I wouldn't be that surprised if you actually see an 8Cs, one or two copies of 8Cs in the top eight. I, I mean, I, I, I am not sold on 8Cs. I will tell you that. But yeah. I am sold on Merfolk being decent. Fair enough. Um, so I wouldn't be surprised if Merfolk does well at this tournament. Yeah. Cool. Um, cool. The next thing on my list is Jund and Junk. So these have been, this is actually where I want to start level two, and this is really the beginning of it. So the, the argument has always been pros will choose to do one of two things when going into an unknown format. They'll play the most unfair deck possible to just try and win against opponents, and that often is successful, as, I mean, Sean just mentioned that Burn has won more Pro Tours this year than any other type of deck. Uh, and then I think Twin was the other deck that won a Pro Tour. <laughs> um, and the other option is decks that just have, like, the best percentage against the field and Jund and Junk just consistently are 55% against everything. They're Ex good. Like, there are bad matchups. Tron is a terrible matchup for them. Um, but the fact that they just have Thoughtseize and Inquisition of Kozilek and Liliana allowing them to just make sure whatever unfair thing their opponent is doing, they're going to be able to disrupt it no matter what it is, gives them that little bit of advantage to let them just beat down with, you know, Tarmogoyf, the biggest creature in the format, or Lingering Souls, one of the best spells in the format. Like, they just get that little bit of advantage. Every spell they cast is just slightly better than what their opponent is doing, and it lets them eke ahead. And generally, that's the secondary choice for a lot of pros. Yeah, and I could see, I could definitely see these decks going aggressive with Fulminator Mage. Um, that would be... Right. It wouldn't be that like 
I wouldn't be like flabbergasted if we saw like a deck with three main deck Fulminator Mage or even four main deck Fulminator Mage. I wouldn't be surprised if Fulminator Mage isn't one of the most played cards at this Pro Tour. Yeah, it's strong in those two fair decks. Pros, pros might try to next level this Eldrazi strategy mm-hmm. by playing a fair deck with four Fulminator Mage in the main deck. Seems pretty sweet. <laughs> yeah. So any any other comments on fair deck, Sean? Before we move on to level three. No, no, pretty much covered it. That's good. How can we get to level three without talking about superior burning cocoa? Because that's level four. Oh, my goodness. Yeah, get out of here. <laughs> uh, all right, level three, and this is the glass cannon decks. So these are the decks that are a little bit less consistent or have really glaring weaknesses to the format. Right. Um, but they're very similar to the level one hyper-aggressive decks. The hyper-aggressive decks are generally the tier one versions of these, and these are kind of the tier two versions of these. Uh, examples of this are Gorio's Vengeance decks, which are probably the fastest consistent kill in the format, but half the time they don't do anything and they die to the aggressive decks. Uh, Footsteps Hulk, which is the Gory- uh, Footsteps of the Gorio, which is a different the reanimator spell that lets you bring a creature in for three mana. Yeah, it's for one black, two colorless, and it's it's not it doesn't have to be a legendary creature, but you sacrifice it at end of turn. Right. And- so with Protean Hulk, it's an instant win. Yeah, because you sack the Protean Hulk, and then you bring all the cards that let you kill a person, because that's how Protean Hulk works. Yeah. Uh, it uses body double, I think, and a recursive yeah, engine. Yeah, there's, there's a whole, like, there's a whole like recursive loop you get yep. going. If it does well, we'll do a deck tech on it. Yeah. So hope it does well so we can tell you more about it. The we'll person, probably do a deck tech eventually. The person we should bring on for that is Eric, because his he's been playing that in Highlander since he built his very first Oh, deck, nice. The cool. Protean Hulk deck. Yeah, yeah, let's do that. Uh, so Storm. Um, mm. Which Storm used to be tier one, just every time it gets good, Wizards bans a card out from under it. So, right. it, and a lot of pros like playing it, but it, the format hasn't changed that much since last year. And John Finkel, who is arguably one of the best pros of all time, if not the best pro of all time, yep. uh, is classically known to play Storm any possible chance he can get. Right. And last year he played Infect instead, because from his perspective, Infect is just the better Storm deck. Yes. Because it's all about just playing as many spells in one turn, and in fact does that, but better, quicker, and more aggressive. The thing about right. Storm that is so good, and I think the reason Storm is always a little bit of a dark horse of these tournaments, you always, you, you'll always find some number of pros go for it, is because the, the types of things that normally interact with decks, with like these sort of unfair aggressive combo decks, don't interact with Storm very well. Um, obviously, Electromancer is the, the piece you can interact with, but you sometimes you'll see Storm go off without Electromancer. They don't need it necessarily, and that's the only thing they can interact with in the deck unless they're playing counter spells. Well, except for one thing, and uh, before I get into the, there's one more glass cannon deck in this category that is weak to this one thing, and then we can talk about it, and that's Living End. Which is sweet right now. Which is sweet right now, kind of. And I realized the problem with Living End, and this is it. What? So the level zero deck, the four-eye Voodoo deck, the established version of the deck plays eight main deck graveyard hate spells. Scrabbling Claws and Relic? Yeah. Yeah. So Mm. this is a deck that, and and some of them are playing Rest in Peace even. So these are decks that literally make it so you can't win as Living End, Gory's Vengeance, Footsteps, Hulk, or Storm. All four of them are heavy, 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 heavy graveyard decks. And if you can't use your graveyard, you have a problem. Now, Living End has always been slightly better off against um, at least Rest in Peace decks because of the fact that the way their engine works, it just makes it an instant speed board wipe that they can use to gain advantage until they can just start playing their six drops. But I do think all these decks have a huge glaring weakness to the fact that Graveyard Hate's just going to be... But on the other end, if, yeah. if these Ayavugan decks move away from Graveyard Hate, because we talked about processors no longer being a right. thing, but then everyone assumes that there'll be a lot of Graveyard Hate so they're not playing it, Like you could very easily next level the entire tournament with one of these decks. Is there a reason Nile right. Spellbomb doesn't see more play like as an option in those? I mean, Nile Spellbomb is... Because uh, you want it to be just a recursive 
graveyard right. hate tool. You want to be able to do it one a turn until you have to pop the whole thing? Yeah. Got it, got yeah, it. yeah. Um, like, they only pop the whole thing when they either need to draw a card because it's a cantrip or right. because there's a specific, like, they need to use it now as graveyard hate versus a processor engine. Got it, got it. Um, the, other, the other decks in this thing, uh, Elves. Yeah, Elves is, Elves is a glass cannon deck. So it's a little bit of a fairy deck. I, I call it a glass cannon deck because it is really weak to just board wipes <laughs> right, right, right. of any variety. Yeah, that, that was my first like introduction to Modern Ever. A friend let me uh, play his his Elves deck, and I really liked it, but I realized that if they had any like interaction where they were just kind of able to pick up... Like if I would play an Elf and they were just kind of able to pick it off and you're not able to establish a board, then you just... I, you just fold like I just had to sit there and lose pretty much. But if you establish it and, and you get Azuri or whatever and you dump all the mana and you swing in for the win, then it's great. It's just that they had there's no interaction for the other side of the board. And that would I felt really that, that's why I started casting my net in you know, a wider net to see what else was out there, because I like having a little more interaction right. on the other side of the table. And I don't hate this in this format. I already talked about I think Tron's not going to be that good here. And the other worst matchup, which is Splitter Twin, is gone because there's no longer you know, a guaranteed 14% of decks have Snapcaster, Mage, and Lightning Bolt in right. the deck. And those are the two worst matchups for Elves. Right. So they definitely gained a lot of percentage points. And they don't use the Graveyard. They go around the Eldrazi decks. They're just kind of as aggressive as Eldrazi decks because they ramp into what they're going to do. Right. So I would actually expect, same as Merfolk, Elves to kind of maybe be a decent deck in this tournament. Yeah, it's not completely off the radar. Um, and then Ad Nauseam is the last... Yeah, people talk about Ad Nauseam. I mean, this has always been a fringe combo deck. The thing about Ad Nauseam is that this deck has, hasn't has gotten anything to make it any better. But it, but it lost Splinter Twin, which means it lost blue interaction spells. So Ad Nauseam's worst matchup was decks that could counter spell right. them, and we just lost the biggest counter spell deck in the format. And still... the second biggest also is gone because that was a deck that was better good against Twin. Like, both Grixis and Twin are gone. My one argument there is that I would argue the... The level zero deck has a turn two or possibly turn three, in most cases, exile a card from your hand spell. Sure. And this deck with Pentad Prism will go off on turn three sometimes. So your chance of actually dodging that against potentially the best deck in the format is low. Right, right. I agree with that. All right. Any any uh, glass cannon decks we didn't mention, Sean, that you might want to bring up? Uh, no, but one note on Ad Nauseam. So what's its win con? Like, what, what's it like aiming to do against, especially some of these bigger like Eldrazi decks? So, so generally the way Ad Nauseam works, well, Ben found my lightsaber. Um, Just turned it off. <laughs> so like you, you reveal cards and you put them in your hand, you lose life. So what's, what, what is it digging for? Uh, there's a, I think it's called Lightning Storm. Oh, you're talking about, yeah. Well, what's the win condition? Conflagrate and, and or Lightning Storm. So Conflagrate because you can, uh, you can draw a billion cards and discard X cards to flash it back. Um, and then Lightning Storm is the other one where you can discard land cards, I believe. Out to... of your hand to add counters to it while it's on. Let, yeah. It's a very complicated card, but basically both cards allow you to discard cards from your hand. And yeah. since you have your whole deck in your hand, you can then use, and they do direct damage to your opponent. And Phyrexian um, Unlife. Is and and the way it wins is, dying. yeah, it uses Phyrexian Unlife or um, Angel's, Grace. Angel's Grace, which both say basically you can't lose the game through loss of life. And right. then use Ad mm. Nauseam to draw their whole deck. And then they have one of those two cards that for free or for X amount of mana lets them kill them so they do have a Got very it. quick kill they interact on a level similar to storm and it's probably the better storm deck um they interact on a level that other people can interact with they also are the only deck that has free counter spells uh because they can cast um pack negation pack negation on pa your opponent's turn and then during the upkeep right. cast angel grace 
Yeah. You know, yeah. Either instant speed win before they lose or cast Angel's Grace and then have that whole turn to ad nauseum and win. So uh, part of their combo can be to counter them and then when they would lose, just not lose anymore. Yeah, I've seen people do that. I mean, you have to do. You do have to remember though that Storm also has the opportunity to play packed. I mean, it's I've right. seen no, it but in, you don't. You don't have the. It's not a free pact. You still have to pay for that five mana thing or win on the turn you're casting it. My right. point is, is that they can cat they can counter I see what you're saying. that Eldrazi. And then Angel's Grace turns into a one mana way to not pay for it, as well as the win condition you yeah. need on that turn anyway. Yeah, that's interesting. I mean, yeah, I mean that's good. Like, like like I said, I mean the reason that I think Storm is a better deck, Storm Storm relies on redundancy. So Storm relies heavily on the fact that you well, have multiple rituals and lots of cantrips, whereas Ad Nauseam, right. if you can just not let them play an ad nauseum, they'll never win the game. No, I, I think I think Storm is a better deck in general and weaker in this tournament because of the graveyard hate yeah. from turn zero decks right. or level yeah, zero decks. And I think ad nauseum and elves are both decks that are like Storm or are like these combo decks, but don't involve the graveyard and yeah. have a higher advantage because of that. Mm. Cool. Yep. And then, last but not least, and really this is every other deck we didn't mention unless we're wrong <laughs> and we missed a fair deck and a glass cannon deck or a hyper-aggressive deck, and that is level four, also known as tier three decks or decks that Ben Bateman comes up with. <laughs> Look, I'm going to explain to you guys something real quick. We did a whole lot of talking over the summer about Superior Burning Cocoa, a deck that I played at almost every single modern PPTQ. Now, Sean, have you ever, have you ever heard me talk about this or ha ever seen anything or know what it is at all? Not yet. I'm not yet. Okay. Superior Burning Coco. This was a deck, a concept that we came up with before the printing of Colagon's Command. And it got significantly worse as Colagon's Command went on. So the premise here was <laughs> that you played four copies of Ether Vial, four copies of Collected Company, and then a whole bunch of super sweet cards that are made better by coming into play directly from your hand without casting them or directly from your deck. Um, and basically, the gist of it was you played Burning Tree Emissary which you could play directly into Mirror Superior on turn two. So you would be able to get seven power on turn two on the play, um, as well as the fact that Collected Company could hit Mirror Superior. You would get to play main deck Spellskites as well as some main deck Dorans so that Collected Company could bring in, like, Doran and a Spellskite and just, like, represent nine power when you, end up, when you untap. Um, it was a really interesting deck with a lot of really cool interaction and yeah, tested yeah. really well. It's, it's matchup that you wanted with Splinter Twin. The problem was... Colagon's Command got printed. All of a sudden, your 5-6, that's really good, gets killed by really half a card. And they could knock <laughs> yeah. off your Ether Vial. I mean, uh, I got destroyed when that card would come up. Like, the matches I lost were always Jund or always, like, yeah, Grixis, Grixis Control. Control. So uh, what's really interesting, though, is if there's going to be less Colagon's Commands out there, I'm pretty sure a 5-6 is really, really good against Reality Smasher and also really, really good against a 4-4 that's trying to take it out of your hand when you either vile or collect company and into play. Yeah, right. No, I, yeah. I, I, I yeah. think it's... Oh, so the one thing I do want to say about this tier, yeah. and it's not just... And it is Ben Bateman decks because often they're not tested, but <laughs> it, it, at, a, at a GP level performance. But these are the decks that... You know, Amulet Bloom was one of these decks forever, and then it two mm. decks got into the top eighth and ninth spot of the last Pro Tour. Right. Um, Amulet, uh, uh, sorry, Lantern Control was right. one of these decks, and that's a deck we yeah. didn't mention. I would say that's probably in the uh, the fair deck category, even though yeah. it's like in a weird glass cannon fair deck middle ground. It's kind of an other deck. Yep. Um, but I think that's higher tier than what we're talking about here. Yeah. Um, and that one won a Grand Prix. And that won a Grand Prix. Like I theoretically, think... elves was here blatantly forever until actually, it won a Grand Prix. <laughs> I would guess for the purposes of this tournament, actually, that Lantern Control is a higher rated deck. 
because although the Eldrazi deck is very fast and those aggro decks are very fast, the Lantern deck plays a decent amount of control, and if it comes out correctly, can just stop you from dying. Like, well, if they the, the Eldrazi deck only kills you by attacking, they don't have any real reach. So that's same like with playing basically all the others other than Burn. playing uh, Bridge is really good against the format. Yeah, Ghostly. Yeah, um, and the and the pros would want to move things back. In, f- shifting from like a swingy format into a more controlling one. And so I can, I can, I agree with that where they would tend to play lantern control because it puts the control back in their hands. Cause it's right. like, Hey, let's slow things down. Let's play this at my pace. And this is a magic game that I'm uh, comfortable with and used to. So I can, I can, yeah, even though it's more fringe, I wouldn't be surprised if that popped up in a higher percentage than normal. But lantern control is once we said it before, it's kind of like Jund and junk where it's a deck that allows a pro to capitalize on their skill level because it's pretty right. decent against everything. And they right. just have to play correctly and play better than their opponent to win. And lantern Absolutely. allows them to do that. It is a little weak to graveyard hate, but it's mm. not as weak as any of the other decks we've talked about. It just has to find a win condition eventually. A lantern? Yeah. Yeah, and I mean... Uh, <laughs> that doesn't use the graveyard. Yeah, I mean, lantern wasn't like a deck that was necessarily built to but beat... But it can mill your opponent out. That's still an option. Yeah, well, and it also wasn't a deck that was necessarily built to beat twin. I mean, it was. It had its... It had, it had, a, defi- it had a good matchup against twin, but it wasn't... Tw- I mean, like, it was meant... To, it, it literally was formed to beat everything because it was meant to stop the attack step, which yeah. is what modern is about. Yeah, yeah. Right. Um, I don't think it's very good against Tron. Um, no, it's because it... I mean, it's okay against Tron. I think its its bigger weaknesses are going to be Ad Nauseam, Elves, yeah. um, and Storm. Because these are pros that are going to be playing decks like that, it has a little bit of a problem. And then Burn is also not a great matchup. I wouldn't it. be that surprised to see like somebody like Sam Black play like an updated version or something. Yeah, like, like I agree with that. A tuned version would be kind of cool. Um, I mean, you know... 8-Rack is on this list. The Oops All Turns deck we brought up yeah. is on the level yep. 4 tier list. This is also the place of decks that are new. So I would say the like Land Destruction uh, Dark Cave Dwellers deck. Goblin Dark Dwellers. Goblin mm. Dark Dwellers. Um, where it's, you know, these are the decks that no one's really placed with before because they didn't exist. Yeah. Or they people have been on the fringe forever and then just the right format didn't exist or the right card for it wasn't around. Yeah. And it's going to be really interesting. This is where the pro tour is where these decks kind of show up. Right. That's where Amulet came from. Like blatantly, I mean, it was around, and someone did decently with the GP a couple months before that. But like in reality, the first time it ever got on someone's list, it was this tournament, and then a year later, it was banned. Right? Did we? And we <laughs> talked about Goryeo's Vengeance. We talked about that in the Glass Cannon decks. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And, um, yeah and, I mean, and there's definitely decks we missed in all of these tiers. But right, I mean, the fascinating thing about that when you just talk about how no one played it, and and we again we've said this before on the podcast, like no one played Goryeo's Vengeance. In this form before, and no one played Amulet Bloom, even though it was totally. And no one legal. realized Nourishing Soul was a thing that you can do with it. Yeah, and it just blew the deck that at level much better. Yeah, I mean, even if people did, it's like that. So that's you always wonder, like, will somebody come up with something fascinating and different uh, that we aren't expecting at the Pro Tour? And it happens all the time. I mean, that Lantern deck people had played a little bit, but like, it's won a GP now, and it just yeah. didn't necessarily exist before. So, right. right. No, I mean Zach Elsick, top sixteen. Yep, and then he won a GP, and yeah. those are the two places that deck had at a tournament period until he won that GP, and then it started doing decently. Yeah, or people started giving it actual practice. And then we're also we're not we're we're forgetting like uh, other other interesting things. Like we haven't seen anybody try it like Agro Loam in a long time. That won the very first modern right. Grand Prix. I mean, there's decks that could that could come out of nowhere. Well, so. and, and like you know, there's a whole the whole genre of collected company doing stuff. Like there's a collected company Slivers deck that is around. There's also like yep. collected company mm-hmm. Naya, collected company Zoo, collected yeah. company Bant. Like these are all decks that exist that we haven't brought them up because literally 
Modern is huge. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, and that's why we like the Pro Tour. That's why we love this Pro Tour. I, we've said it before that I'm fine with the Pro Tour. I don't think it has to be as mixed up as Wizards thinks it does. Um, I think that it would be interesting to see Ari Lax, the master of lantern control. He's I don't think he is that, but say no. he was. You know, third Pro Tour, finally take it down with lantern control. He was control. really good with the fact he played um, that for a long time. Or, you know, just like LSV comes in with Grixis control, this time playing Cruel Ultimatum because he gets to. And or like just he like gets to play the Gift Strawn deck that he loves that he doesn't right. play anymore. Yeah, I totally agree. I I'd mean, rather see pros that are masters of the decks they're playing do really well with really cool strategies than having the format need to be mixed up. That's what we get. But, you know, we listed a bunch of decks that weren't viable or new decks that are right, possible. Right. I mean, we could have right. literally spent an entire episode, and I think we actually have. Uh, about just on blue red x decks that are now going to be viable because twin is gone right um and we'll probably once the pro tour is done because we're going to have one more episode it's going to be our end of the pro tour episode next week of our like yeah pro tour coverage week or totally. month um and then we'll go over which decks did really well which decks didn't do well how right we were with this conversation and how wrong we were yeah 100 um, percent. cool yeah sean any any other um no yeah as far as decks no that i mean that's a really that's an excellent discussion so the last, the last subject before we start wrapping up, and I, I can actually have Sean kind of explain this, something that's been interesting that's happening with Pro Tours recently is these concept of teams. And we've had a few players like Curry Burkhart come on and talk about what – he just joined Team Ultra Pro, and we had um, Patrick Champin mention it and Paul Rietzel mention it. But, uh, uh, Sean, uh, can you break down for everyone, because you know, Wizards coverage is going to be mentioning it, what is the concept of a Magic team? All right, so, man, so – in order like to get a handle on whatever format, whenever there's a new set or whatever, uh, the pros and players, they want to group together with other like-minded players and get as many reps in as possible. So they form these teams. And the teams are really, really, really important because if you just by yourself wanted to go out and test for the Pro Tour, for example, there is no way that you'd be able to go through, especially Modern, for example, so big, uh, there's no way they're going to be able to go through all the iterations and all the different, you know, matchups that you would want to to kind of get a good handle on on the format. And so these teams form and they are very like regimented. They they get together, you know, weeks in advance to start testing. And, you know, they're all together in a house somewhere. And every day they're just playing Magic and they're doing different matchups and they're they're looking at what cards are key in each matchup, uh, figuring out which, you know, oh, hey, when we're in this matchup and you play this card, I pretty much lose. So what do we need to do to, you know, counterbalance that? Or is this just a bad matchup? We're not going to play this deck. And they're just doing that over and over and over again. And that's why the, that's why they need a team, because one person can't go through all those matchups. You can have multiple people doing lots of different matchups, and that way they'll be able to get a good understanding of um, yeah, of what the format is and try and show up as prepared as possible. So that's kind of why they form teams and, and teams they're I mean, they're all over the world with different people, uh, you know, in them and stuff like that. And we can dive into some of the bigger teams if you want, but that's kind of like the over the overview of teams. Yeah. So I mean, the way to kind of look at it is because magic in general is a single sport. You're playing against one opponent and you're on your own, but the way these teams work is it's very similar to like other team sports, but just it's all about preparation. So right. with basketball, exactly. you have a center, a power forward, a you know 
point guard and all these you know positions are very good at their specific job and you still have that same thing with teams in magic where there's deck tuners that are really good at taking an idea and making sure every single card is statistically the best card to be in that position and then you have deck brewers that are really good at coming up with new strategies and thinking off the wall and trying out new cool things you have really good testers you have really good play people that know how to figure out what matchups are better and you know you probably especially for this pro tour have some modern specialists that know what people need to be expecting right um, what would you say? What, can you kind of break down some of the bigger high profile teams than who's on those teams? Absolutely. So I'm just going to start at the top. I think the team to be is going to be team Eureka. Like they have been they've blown up since their inception last year. And even just last weekend at the Grand Prix Mexico City, they I mean, they were crushing it. Uh, we're, we're looking at Yo Larson, who's kind of the, the front man, kind of the captain for that for that team, more or less. Um, Yo Larson, you have Swedish, Martin Swedish Kibler. Yeah. Uh, yes. Yes. The Swedish <laughs> Kibler. Exactly. Uh, so Yoel Larson, Martin Dang, he was the uh, Pro Tour winner. Uh, let's see. So actually Yoel and Martin, they won Pro Tours last year. So that's pretty cool. And then you have, um, let's see, Pierre Dejean, who was the captain of the French team at the World Magic Cup. Uh, you have Fabrizio Anteri, who just won the Grand Prix last weekend and uh, just been doing really well. And their like old school Hall of Famer that they have with them is Ole Rod and yeah, or Roddy or Rod. I know he's Swedish, so I don't know how to say his last name. But uh, he he kind of brings like the structure and whatnot to them. And they've just and Martin Mueller's on that team as well. And like I said, they've just been doing really, really, really well. It's like every everything they touch is gold. And so I think I think they're going to be the team to beat because they're dedicated, they're hungry. You know, they have a good balance of like that young ener energy with uh, some old, you know, old school guidance and whatnot. And they're just really focused and, and doing great. So um, that's one team that I that I'm definitely you know looking out for and seeing how they do. So Team Eureka is one. Obviously for, um, and that's kind of, that's the, that's the, like the premier team out of Europe. Would you say? Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Like there, like there was other teams like team revolution, for example, which uh, Raphael Levy was a founder of and whatnot. But then I think that team more or less got folded into this one. There's some other, other European teams and that is definitely the, the premier European team now for sure. Okay. So, absolutely. Uh, as far as circling around the globe to kind of the Asian side, you have uh, MTG mint card. With uh, Li Shi Tian, he's uh, he's the the core Chinese member of player, that right? team. Yeah, he's from Hong Kong. Yeah, yeah, he's in Hong Kong. He's the, he's there. Uh, he's been in there. he's been in a top eight modern tournament. He's he, every single modern pro tour. He is top eight. Yeah, he's yeah he's I, I've definitely paid attention. Yeah, yeah. and then uh, Park Jun Park Jun Young is another uh, uh, you know staple of that team as well. He just top eighted uh, GP Nagoya. Um, last, you know, last weekend. So, uh, and then they, you know, they, they cycle through some other uh, players as well, but those are like the two main ones. Um, yeah. So they're, they're the premier, I guess, Asia is Pacific Island team, I would say, <laughs> and, uh, uh, for that side of the world. And so, uh, yeah, looking for the, like you said, Lee Shitian being the main, the main character there. So as far as American teams go, okay. So you always have, for example, Team Channel Fireball and the Pantheon. And so those are always big ones. You have Team Ultra Pro as well. Um, so let's see, for, starting with Team Channel Fireball, those are all the names that pretty much everybody knows in Magic. You're going to have LSV, you're going to have, you know, Paolo on there. So, you know, PV, Josh Leighton, David Choa, like all these big names that we're, you know, that we're so used to seeing, like that is the core of uh, Team Channel Fireball. And then on the flip side, it, it's weird. You also have um, the Pantheon, which is also under the channel fireball umbrella but they technically are you know a different you know a different well, they, team eventually i think uh channel fireball team regular got too big and they split it into two teams and then even the name pantheon was actually community picked the community did a vote on channelfireball.com and picked out what name they wanted to name that team 
Right. And so that's, that's John Finkel and Patrick Chapin and, you know, Reed Duke, Owen Turtonwald, Gabriel Nassif, like all these, all the like hall of famers and big names and like pillars of, uh, you know, Pantheon, you know, like the pillars of magic and whatnot. And so those are, those are the people that you'll expect to see, you know, um, representing that team. And then, um, yeah, so those are some of the big teams and, and who we expect to see on them. And like I said, I, I think uh, Team Eureka is really gunning for it and people would probably be, you know, gunning for them. And, and it would just be really exciting to see how everybody matches up. I mean, we should also mention the the Southern California team that we like have had several of the guys on the podcast from. Andrew Brown, who has now won a Grand Prix. Eugene Wong, who has also won a Grand Prix. Brandon Fisher, you have Austin Bach, you have... Uh, Travis Bosi is part of the team. Well, I think no, I think I think Brown and Eugene are on a different team, and I not know I don't know what it's called off the top of my head. Okay, so that's like sort of a play group. Yeah, yeah, yeah that's more of the play group they start with. Uh, the one team that I would say to keep an eye out for that we didn't mention, and they're a big one, is Team Ultra Pro, and you mentioned it briefly. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. and they're kind of the remains of what Team Star City Games was before they became their own tournament circuit. I kind of yeah. feel like because it's like Ari Lax, Corey Burkhart's on it. Well, a lot of those guys. I mean, I think Chapin's on that team, isn't he? I mean, I, I, yeah, Chapin's on there now. Uh, um, Matt Sperling is on it. Ritzel's on it. Uh, they actually they formed because they didn't like having they're they're like professional have professional lives. Like Sperling's a lawyer, so they were unable to take off the two weeks before a tournament to go to a cabin in the woods somewhere. Yeah, or like right. a hotel room. So they actually do all of their testing through Moto and online. Yep. So they have uh, Ben Stark and Craig Wesco as well. Yeah, yeah they've they got do. a really yeah, yeah. big team. I was gonna say, I, yeah, I, I was their thinking, team is really like is like Jerry Thompson on the team also. Sam Black, yes, yeah, it's a- both, yeah, Sam Black. Like they literally have, I like these are the teams. I think Team Eureka. I think you're right. I think T, uh, the team out of Asia, um, the two Channel Fireball teams and Team Ultra Pro. I Which, think those are the five big. What's like, the if we con- were to pick like, what's a college football division that's like like oh, the Pac-10 or something like a conference? Yeah, that's just like all good teams. What about what about Alexander Haynes team, the Canadian guys? So th- yeah, that's true. Face to face games. Yeah, oh team, yeah, they're yeah team team face to face. Yeah, they 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 actually are doing much better. Uh, I've had quite a few of the face to face guys on um, the sh- on my podcast, and they link up with. So a lot of them are friends with like Channel Fireball people, so they tend to like practice with them, and so sometimes they don't get rolled up into the team, but they do practice with them um, fairly often. But yeah, I mean they're doing much better. So they used to be just a core Canadian team, but they've started branching out and inviting other people like to join the team, and that's kind of really helped them, you know, move up and whatnot. They're doing, like, they do fairly well in like the GP circuit. You'll you'll see face to face team members um, up there fairly often. Uh, I'm not exactly sure what their pro tour representation is, but yeah, definitely not to be ignored as well because they they do have a good um, Canada has a good uh, magic scene as well. So. It's kind of cool how it's it's for the most part really geographic. Yeah. Yeah. Um, like like and it makes sense because you want to be near each other, but it, it is closer to kind of what you imagine. Uh, I'm gonna show more of my nerd face here, but I used to watch like the Gundam series, and there was G Gundam, and they like each country had their own like person that went to a tournament and fought each other. And these pro tours with these teams are becoming very similar to that, where you have like it's kind of a mini Magic Olympics. Yeah. Yeah. Um, the the Andrew Brown team, it's a it, they're called Team East West Bowl. That's the name of the team. Oh, okay. And uh, he he just told me there's 12 people on the team, so I don't have a roster in front of me, but I know. I mean, as far as like two of two Grand Prix in the last year have, or at least year and a half, have been won by members of the team. More than that, they're, they they have some legit names. He listed them at lunch one time, and I forget every single person he mentioned. Yeah, it's, uh, a, bi- but... it's, a, it's a big team, and as far as like just like 
Uh, They're a little bit more newcomer. Yeah, I, I, because yeah, yeah, I mean Andrew and Eugene were both on the radar for rookie of the year last year, and I know he's hungry. I know they're both really hungry to win, so I wouldn't be. If we I, didn't eat dinner before this podcast, I'd be hungry. I think didn't Brown <laughs> didn't Brown get like twenty fourth at his first pro tour? I think he did. I, I I don't know. You know better than I do. I think he got like twenty fourth at his first pro tour. So anyway, um, awesome. Yeah. Well, so that's that's kind of the breakdown of what the pro tour is going to be. It's super exciting. Uh, yeah. I. I hope some of these tier four decks top eight personally, because I love when a new deck pops up in one of these things. And that is one of the cooler things I think of having this event is pros are forced to kind of innovate and we get to see some really sweet decks in the end of stuff. Um, and if I was going to pick one deck on this list, that's going to win. We each have to pick a deck because I'm just going to make us call, call stuff out. Uh, <laughs> I'm going to say ad nauseum. I think ad nauseum is going to be the big breakout for this format for this tournament i go merfolk i go some some kind of we'll call it maybe six c's but like some kind of merfolk <laughs> deck i think has a really legit shot its matchup is strong and uh it doesn't get picked off by the spot removal and instant win combo of the format's previous best deck and its disruption is particularly good against two of the new big bads Red aggro. I'm going to call red aggro. Why? Because history says that red aggro does really well. So and, you're just uh, playing the odds. You're just doing the, I, the good I, yeah, blackjack and, and, player and, of just like follow the rules no matter what. Burn's going well, to win. Here's, <laughs> and here's the thing is like I, I hope I really want to see Oath of the Gatewatch in a, in like, uh, integrated into modern because, you know, honestly, like uh, what was it? The very first Oath of the Gatewatch event that we had, it was the open series or something like that. The deck that won had one, one Oath of the Gatewatch card that was in it. Everything else was pre-Oath of the Gatewatch, and I was kind of disappointed. And so I'm really, I would love to see that not happen here. I really want to see, like, these new cards brought into this format and 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 mixed in there and whatnot. And so I would love to see that. Uh, but I guess aside from that, uh, yeah, playing the odds, I, I'm going to say that Red Deck, Red Deck will win. Red Deck wins. <laughs> Red Deck wins. Um, I mean, I will say that's something also to remember just in general for Pro Tours, is the first two weeks of the format before the Pro Tour are often misleading yeah. because none of the best players in the world are allowing people to know what they think the format is. Right. They're not going to play the best deck. And on top of that, especially that first week, card availability is actually an issue. It's very oh, hard that's a for... very good point. Like, no very. one's able to get... Like, say Chandra, the new Chandra is just the best. I don't yeah. think it is, but say it is. Like, no one's able to get their hands on four very easily the day that the set came out. Right. No one's able to even test that well for the format when only new... You know, the only cards available are the old format's version of cards. Yeah. So that's, a, that's a good point. I do think this need for colorless mana is going to lower the colors for standard, but we don't talk about standard here because I don't really know much about it. Well, that's the other thing to remember, by the way, that I, I think is super, super relevant, is we're talking about these decks as if, as if like, let's just say Reality Smasher or Thought Not Seer, Thought Not Seer probably being the real card that we're talking about, um, or, or Mattery Shape or any of these like colorless cards. Well, we're forgetting that there's just really good cards in the format that could just take advantage of the fact that those cards are good by changing their mana bases. And we might right. we might just see three copies of like of like Thought uh, Not Seer in a random not deck. Seer just like pop up in like some newfangled Jun deck yep. or like something like or Jun that. Jun playing Matter Reshaper just because it's like Jun loves value creatures and Matter Reshaper is a value creature. Yeah, like who knows? Like it'd be so cool if that was what happened or um I mean there's just there's really interesting design space uh for for deck right. design. Like for instance yeah. we you know we joked about 
Okay, we joked about training grounds when BDM was on the was on the on the podcast recently, and I always say like whenever I see a card that has like a sweet a sweet activated ability for three, I always like immediately think training grounds. Like, what could you do with this? Because it is powerful. I mean, for one mana, you reduce two mana is like a big two reduction. generic mana, yeah. Um, and so, what if you were to like build some really innovative deck that took advantage of training grounds and Eldrazi Displacer, and then all of a sudden, for one white, you get to just like it's one co- <laughs> one colorless for one colorless. All of a sudden, you can just Maze of Ith any creature on the board, not or to mention your own triggers, ETB yeah. effects. Like right. that's insane. I mean, plus like I, with that and Restoration Angel in play, you like can't ever have a creature die ever again. Yeah, I mean, I, I've seen <laughs> and I've seen I've seen like um, I mean also. With so then again with thought nuts here, think about the ability to instant speed flicker that card during your opponent's draw step. So they draw, you let them draw an additional card when it leaves play, and then it enters, and then during draw step, you take their best card and exile it every single time. Oh yeah, I, I think that card will see play. I think it's definitely a one of in a lot of decks. I also think the blink card will. The the biggest limitation is it's white, and Eldrazi color wise is not a big fan of white. Right, right, right. Though there is the black white one, and I think the black white deck that did well at the SEG event that came out right after Oath of the Gate Watch played one in the side. Yeah. Oh, um, we didn't talk about Blue Moon, did we? We did not. So I, I would Blood Moon is a card that we need to you should look out for. We talked about a good land. Yeah, yeah. Is, and we did not yeah. mention that. So yeah, add that to the podcast. Blue Moon, yeah, because like, so, we're doing it now. Blue yeah. Moon, Blood Moon is really good, and Blue Moon itself is a strat. Like I think that if Colgan's command is weak. Then shackles, um, be shackles is better. Yeah, stealing a thought not here seems sweet. Stealing it, <laughs> like yeah, or just a, ma- a reality shaper. Yeah, hundred percent. Smasher. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, Super yeah. excited. So that's the, that's our pro tour review. Uh, I want to remind all of you guys to go follow us on Twitter. That's where we interact mostly with you, and oh we'll God. we'll have conversations about stuff. We are at the MM Cast. Stealing a um, stealing a what's it called? A mimic, an Eldrazi mimic, in response to the trigger, so that your steal trigger would. Would resolve first, and then it would come to your battle. It would come to your side. And no, because they would get it back. Because it, it's uh, whatever becomes bigger than its power becomes too big. Oh, really? Yeah, that's how it works. I think so. It immediately goes back. Yeah, yeah. I think you have to gain control. It's not good for a mana cost. No, no, no. It, it it'll get go back. Oh, okay. Like a way to always get stuff back with infect is the pump your creature. Got it. Yeah, yeah. Didn't uh, know. Yeah. Welcome to. Welcome to, yeah. <laughs> Welcome to modern. Uh, so once a, once again, uh, we are at the MM Cast on Twitter. Uh, you can make fun of Ben for not knowing how that card worked on yeah. Twitter. It's late. <laughs> we're tired. Uh, I am at Kess Wiley. I am at Ben Bateman Media. And by the way, most likely this week we're going to hit 1,500 Twitter followers. That's an exciting week. I know. Yeah. I, I, I might even hit 666 Twitter followers, which I've been working at because uh, I'm <laughs> the devil. Congrats, guys. That's awesome. Yeah, Thank no, you. it's super exciting. Uh, and... Why don't, why, don't, why don't Sean? Why don't you tell everyone where to find you and all the cool stuff they can do by finding you? Yes. Yeah. So I I interact mostly on Twitter as as well. I'm at Sean Penrod, so it's very easy. And uh, yeah, just you can feel free to connect with me. I tweet about you know general tips and then what the pros have going on and things like that. So and then once again, if you're interested in hearing what the pros have to say about different formats, especially learning about their origin stories and things that they struggled with and how they overcame it so you can become a better Magic player, then check out MTG Pro Tutor. You know, the podcast is on iTunes and Stitcher, and you can find it at mtgprotutor.com. Awesome. And we'll definitely link that out onto our, uh, the page for this podcast. Uh, to remind everyone, we are on rocketjump.com. That's where you can find all of the past episodes. And if you, know, if you want links to different decks that we talked about or actual lists of top 10 lists that we talked about, you can find it there. Uh, also, remind you, follow the Command Zone. They're great. They have great content. 
Super, super awesome. Yeah, yep. yeah, they're they're a, a great a great entry point for anybody who wants to revisit Magic if they used to play or something like that. So yeah, and then I, guess, I I can second that. They're they're really good, really informative. I play Commander, and I love listening listening to those guys too. And, and they've been doing these awesome series. Uh, it's where they yes. do um kitchen table kitchen fables? table fables. Yeah, yeah, yeah they're awesome. So I'm funny. in I'm in one of them. You can see me. I'm the knight that uh, the professor tells the move when he's doing his card flicking. Are and, you? Uh, oh, that's awesome. Yeah, that's yeah. Awesome. <laughs> I was actually the only person to show up with a real sword to the uh, the shoot. Really. And, like the entire time, we had to be very careful. I didn't cut up someone else with the sword that I'm holding. Um, you'll notice I never that passed one was it to anyone else. Funny. That one was probably my favorite one. I like that one. That was yeah. so funny. Because because I was I was. In it. <laughs> I think so. I, think I, I was like I was like that night makes it like yeah. that night makes this whole video. So that was awesome. Yeah. I was like wearing real leather. And that wasn't mine. They brought like a bunch of armor, and one of them was like a real leather like yeah. thing. I was like, this is sweet. I'm I'm just I'm ready for battle. And uh, awesome. one <laughs> and one more time, guys. Remember to check out wizardryfoundry.com for our official sponsor of the month. Uh, we mentioned them at the top of the podcast as well, but just as a quick reminder, they make awesome stuff. So check that yeah, out. There's deals. You can get cool, sweet deals. Yes. Refer to the top of the episode one more time if you want to hear the exact C's on the yeah. deals. So cool. All right. Thanks, guys. We'll talk to you guys next week after the pro tour. Make sure to check it out. Stream it. Screw the Super Bowl. Super Bowls are overrated. No one likes football. Nobody likes the Panthers. No. Yeah. Look. <laughs> come on. Esports. League of Legends beat the Super Bowl in viewership this year so yeah, let's no get kidding. that magic pro tour up there is that a real thing yeah league of legends the 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 mock the L, lcs championship had more viewership on twitch than the super bowl gets what yeah, yeah. They, they like sold out madison square garden and then they had the twitch following yeah it was crazy it was nuts i missed that apparently yeah Holy yeah crap so you should remember that when you talk about your things with stuff all right so cool thank you guys talk to you guys next week bye Thank you for your attention. For further inquiries, send an email to the MMCast at rocketjump.com. See you later, alligator. <laughs>